0: Patty, mm-hmm. I'm going to name a few companies, okay, and I cool. want you to guess what they have in common. Okay, this so. is kind
1: of a weird way to start the episode, but okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so
0: just stay with me here and guess. Okay, Facebook, Duncan, Dollar Tree. Wells Fargo. Uh
1: donuts, cheap donuts. Um uh, sprinkles on cheap donuts that are hashtags that what? actually have fake accounts. I have no idea. Can you please help me? What are we doing
0: here? That did not go <laughs> the way I thought it would. I'm, okay, so, well, so I don't know
1: what's happening here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're all companies that fairly recently have tried to improve their public image. Oh, like Facebook okay. is all of a sudden trying to claim that they care about privacy, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and Wells <laughs> yeah. Fargo wants to distance itself from all the unethical things that they had their employees do.
1: Okay, do you remember? Um, remember Blackwater? Mm-hmm. Remember that like they tried to rename themselves like uh, Z or. Che or XE oh, or yeah. something whatever it was it did like you know it didn't work at all people were still like oh yeah um blackwater uh you mean the human rights violating security contractor yeah they're the absolute worst
0: <laughs> right and so obviously not every company's rebrand is because they did something horribly wrong
1: right yeah i mean like Dunkin' changed its name from Dunkin' Donuts because they wanted people to think of them as having more than just donuts, even though I still love their donuts.
0: So <laughs> regardless of the reason for the rebrand, trying to change the face of a company is almost always a challenge. Right. The company has to come across as sincere and committed to the new direction. hmm And then most of the time they actually have to do something differently.
1: Right. They can't just like slap on a new logo or come up with like a new slogan and just leave it at that.
0: Usually no. Although in some cases I think the point is just to make the logo look a little more modern. I think Guinness did that back in 2016 when they made their harp look a little more minimalist. Ah
1: yes. Guinness. The beer of the Emerald Isle.
0: Most rebrands mean something more about the company has to change than its font colors. Mm. And that actually, for example, to go back to Wells Fargo, is where they've fallen down. They launched this big campaign in 2018 to gain back customer trust. But then in March 2019, the New York Times reported that there were still internal concerns about the corporate culture.
1: Right. But that's like internal. What about the actual consumer?
0: Right. So. The other part to rebranding is the target audience. They have to be willing to give the brand another chance Uh or receptive to the new face that the company is supposedly putting forward, Uh, which is tricky. I mean, when I read about Zuckerberg's vision for Facebook, he wrote this thing called a privacy-focused vision for social networking. I didn't believe any of it.
1: (laughs) Shocker. But okay, so rebrands are hard, right? I get that. But sometimes they can really pay off, right?
0: Yeah. Old Spice was able to go from being thought of as this dodgy brand to something kind of fun and relatable for younger people.
1: Currently wearing Old Spice. I love their ads. I think they're hilarious. And I see where you're going with this, Elizabeth. Okay, so pals out there, today's episode features Teresa Baker. Teresa is the founder of the African American National Park event, and she has a compelling idea for improving the image of something near and dear to our hearts.
2: I believe the outdoor industry needs
1: rebranding. What does that mean? And what does that look like? Well, stay tuned, pals. I'm Patty O'Connell
0: and I'm Elizabeth Nakano.
1: Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them.
2: I grew up here in the Bay Area, Richmond, California. I grew up as the only girl in a family of nine. So I have eight brothers. Wow. And I refused to be outdone. So my dad would, (laughs) seriously, my dad would always encourage me to, you know, get out there and Uh, and demand your place in these spaces. So when it came to sports, particularly basketball, I was right out there with the guys, um, you know, running them off the court. And that just became, you know, who I am today. We would hike some of the regional parks, state parks in the Bay Area. Uh, My family owned a horse ranch in Salinas, California. So we would visit the, the ranch, and I was just there doing whatever I could to not be outdone. And eventually, it wasn't about competition. It just became a way of life for me.
1: Did you have a specific event that really caught your heart when it comes to outdoor adventure?
2: Yeah, I was part of an after-school program with a girls' club here uh, Well, in Richmond, California. And one summer, we took a trip to Yosemite. I had never gone before and it was just amazing and we had the rangers come in and talk to us about what we should do and what we shouldn't do and of course we did everything we were told not to. <laughs> and it's like what? Like have food out and you know bother the other campers and wouldn't you know it around 10:30 at night we had a bear come into camp. And I thought it was amazing, but everyone else was freaking out. (laughs) Really? It was something I had never seen before, and that was it for me. Uh, Yosemite was my favorite place to be, and to this day it is.
1: And it's so interesting to me that you see a bear... And and even though that you've, you know, you're excited because you've never seen a bear before, your reaction isn't like, oh, my God, this thing's going to eat me. Your reaction is no. like, oh, how majestic and wonderful. I love this place.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just something different. And I, you know, I was always curious, you know, growing up. I wanted to see things I had never seen before. And for me, that was it. So, you know, I fell in love with Yosemite at, at the age of 13. It's a majestic place. It's, it's serenity, it's calmness, it's wildness. It's, it just gives you a
0: sense of belonging. Teresa returned to Yosemite several times after that first visit. In 2012, she heard you could take public transportation into the park rather than driving. So she opted to try something new. I spent the
2: majority of the time outdoors, just walking around by myself for an entire week. And in that week, I did not see one other person that looked like me. And I thought it odd. So once I got home, I reached out to the National Park Service and I said, Hey, you guys have a people of color problem. And they said, Hey, we know. So, um, you know, they said they were starting campaigns to work on this. And I thought that's not good. That's not a good enough answer for me. So I reached out to a ranger in Yosemite named Shelton Johnson. He is one of two African-American rangers in Yosemite, and they have over 3000 employees. So, um, you know, he and I talked and, you know, he was up front with me. He said, Teresa. If you see a problem, fix it, address it. So I did, and I started African-American National Parks event. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I took to Facebook and mm. said, look, this is a problem I'm going to put together or I'm, I'm just going to issue a call across the country to get out to a national park the first weekend In June, no matter where you are, there's a national park site somewhere in your area. So let's just take to the parks, post pictures on Facebook with the hashtag, and show not just the Park Service, but this country that these spaces belong to us too. So I would say the first year it was under a thousand participants every year since it's taken off. I think last year I I stopped counting it like 7000.
1: You took it upon yourself to reach out to the National Park Service and say, hey, this is an issue. What do you guys think about it? And not only did they respond, but then they helped you. Which is like the government responding, but also saying like, yes, this is an issue and we want to help you, you know. I think yeah. that's like really striking me. How, what happened there?
2: Well, 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 let's not give the government too much credit. You, you know, <laughs> no, I'm not, got, was, I'm not.
1: trying to. I'm it, not it, trying it, to. Trust they
2: me. they weren't initially all that welcoming to my concerns, but you shocker. Know, <laughs> but but they did. They how how can they not admit to it when right. and that in 2012, the National Park Service was 83 percent white. It's mm-hmm. improved a little since then, but not a hell of a lot.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but, but they acknowledged it's a problem.
1: In 2014, encouraged by the success of the African-American National Park events, Teresa organized another event. It was a weekend-long celebration in San Francisco at the Presidio, and it was to celebrate the history of the Buffalo Soldiers. More than 100 people showed up.
2: You had the Buffalo Soldiers, who were the very first rangers in Yosemite. And a lot of people don't know that. These were African-American men who were tasked with protecting what was then a state park at the Presidio of San Francisco. There are over 450 Buffalo Soldiers laid to rest there. I had a participant come up to me in tears saying that they live in San Francisco and it wasn't until this event that they knew about that they learned about the Buffalo soldiers and that one of their relatives was laid to rest there. And it's stories like that that encourage me to, to keep going. All too often, we, we overlook or forget that Native American history, Latino American history, and African-American history is embedded in the land. These are are more than just natural spaces. These were places where we gathered as families, um, as generations, and lived our lives. And I think the more we revisit that and reconnect with these stories, the more we will gain an understanding of why it's vital to not only tell the stories, but to bring younger generations up with the understanding of who they were, so that people understand these spaces belong to all of us.
1: Do you think that your work is about race, or is it about the environment, or is it about conservation? Is it all those things together?
2: My work is not about race. Okay. It's about the environment, ultimately. But the way I go about doing the work is to find things to engage people in. If it's a camping trip, a hiking trip, um, something... Fun So that people will engage with these outdoor spaces and start to develop relationships. That's how I choose to do it. Other people may have, you know, other paths they choose to take. But for me, this is what works making camping trips fun, hiking trips fun. You know, we don't set out to to climb Everest. We just take, you know, do simple little hikes around the Bay Area or various locations throughout the country. And that engages people in these spaces, and they begin to learn about them and develop relationships. And ultimately, that's what my work is about, is finding ways to engage people for the protection of the
1: environment. When people ask you, when they say something like, diversity is great, but why does it matter? Why does it matter in the outdoors? What do you tell them?
2: You know, I get that all the time. What people need to understand is that the demographics in this country are shifting. So in 15 to 20 years, when the number one demographic in this country are people of color, and we do not have people of color caring about the land— Who will be there to fight for the redwoods that people want to knock down and build residential communities, the ocean that we pollute at an alarming rate? Who will care about this if people of color do not care and we are the number one demographic? That's why it's important. It's important for brands to understand that welcome to your new customer base It is us. It is people of color. And if you are not engaging with us now, when we become the number one demographic, we will have created our own brands, you know, our our own companies that we will cater to. So that's why it's important. I, I tell people all the time, if Toys R Us can can go away Anybody can go away. (laughs) And and seriously, and that's what's happening now. You're seeing a lot of brands fall by the wayside because they depended for far too long on their existing customer base. And that base is changing and they're not keeping up with it. How we currently see the outdoor industry, it's male and white. And that so does not fit with the current demographics in this country. So we need to find a way to repurpose what the outdoor industry means so that it can fit with a larger demographic.
1: Coming up after the break, Teresa reveals her vision for the outdoor industry's survival.
0: Teresa believes that one way brands can start inviting people in is to make their marketing and social media look more like America actually does.
1: Because what does the typical ad catalog or Instagram feed look like?
0: A white male
2: climbing a mountain, a white male on a bike, a white male skiing, and, you know, there are droplets of white women in there somewhere every time I take to a social media feed of an outdoor brand, I'm seeing the same image and and what gets me is some of these images you can't even see outside of their hands what what they look like. So why is it that a person of color can't be be the image that you put
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know and and I've had this conversation with Patagonia I spent, A weekend in Yosemite with Patagonia. Um, There was probably about 30 of us, and we had this exact conversation. Patagonia is an amazing company when it comes to protecting the environment. There's nothing bad that I can say about them, but I believe they truly need to step it up when it comes to the work of diversity and inclusion. And Rose Macario and I, we've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with Marmot, North Face, Every brand that's out there, I've had this conversation with.
1: From from your perspective, how would you design a new set of images? Is it, is it athletes and models of diverse backgrounds? Is it different locations? Is it different activities?
2: It's not necessarily the location. It's the faces. It's the people. And I'm not saying I want every image I see to be that of a person of color. I'm saying let's mix it up. Let's show a reflection in our marketing of what this country looks like. The world is already diverse. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we need is, is a, a coming together of all of us to show that people of color are no different than the images that you are showing. We too care about these spaces. So let's find a way to work together and show us as a collective versus showing just white male or white women as if that reflects what the outdoor industry is.
1: So in your opinion, I mean, how do you think that we can avoid tokenism while we're rebranding the industry and community?
2: Look, this is going to feel inauthentic as hell because it hasn't been done. So people are going to be like, oh, we feel like we are making a token out of this person. It's going to feel like that. Sorry. Mm. Because you have not done this work, it's going to feel like that. But if we do away with the need to tell a story as to why we have a person of color on the cover of our magazine, this industry is applying too much pressure to itself. We're not looking for a story. We just want to see people of color in in positions of authority with these brands, with these environmental agencies and companies we want to see movement. We want to see our, we want to see us represented in marketing campaigns and sorry, push your fears aside about it not feeling authentic because that's just where we are and hopefully in 10 years this will not be an issue. You know, Teresa Baker will only be working in real estate because DEI is one. We don't have a need to work on that anymore. But for now, because it feels so new, people may feel that it's not authentic.
1: To be clear, Teresa doesn't want to throw out those images of athletes doing remarkable, possibly unattainable things in far off places. Just like most of us, she's a fan of what these insanely talented humans can pull off.
0: But Teresa does want us to realize something important. These
2: amazing athletes are not keeping this industry growing. Yeah. What's keeping this industry growing are the lazy ass weekend hikers like myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that that is what's keeping the industry moving. You're right. Forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're the ones that are buying the products. These amazing athletes, they they get all this gear for free. <laughs> so, it's the weekend hiker. Yeah. It's the weekend surfer. It's the skiers that average everyday skier that's keeping this industry alive. And they look like me. So that's what we need to show is the average weekend person who who loves being in Yosemite or Muir Woods or Mount Diablo or Tilden, any of your local parks. That's what we need to show. That's what Toyota and Subaru needs to show. Not these amazing athletes. And it's not to say that they don't deserve recognition because what they do is amazing. Mm -hmm. They do. But why not have them doing it with an average, you know, weekend national park lover? Something simple that we can all relate to because I'm not climbing Everest either.
1: Yeah, right.
2: You know, so it's like, let's be more realistic with the images we show.
1: So what does that look like to you?
2: It looks like me doing something as simple as walking through the valley floor of Yosemite. It looks like Native American culture being recognized. It looks like Latino history being recognized. It looks like all of us. And that's what this industry needs, is to have every race represented and everyone made to feel welcome in these spaces.
1: In order to ensure equal and diverse representation, Teresa came up with an idea.
2: Back in January or February of 2018, I reached out to a guy named Chris Perkins, who's currently a student at Yale Mm -hmm. And I said, Chris, I know you care about diversity and inclusion in the outdoors. Will you help me work on an idea I have called the Diversity Pledge? And he said, yes. So we started working on that pledge in, you know, like I say, around February of last year. And um, I reached out to, you know, OIA, which is the... Outdoor Industry Association and, and made them aware of what I was doing and, and others as well. And in June, June or July of last year, we revealed the pledge at the Outdoor Retailer Show in Colorado.
1: Teresa and Chris called it the Outdoor CEO Diversity Pledge.
0: It asked companies to create and enforce policies to expand the diversity, equity, and inclusion of their employees, their board members, and their customers. Teresa reached out to outdoor companies asking them to sign the pledge. Did you feel
1: like it was, it was hard to get people on board with it?
0: Somewhat,
2: because I am a grassroots organization You know, I I don't have sponsors behind me. I'm just someone that gives a damn about the outdoors, and I'm trying to help the industry fix itself. So here I am, an unknown, reaching out to Patagonia, Columbia, North Face, saying, here's an opportunity for you guys to commit to doing this work. So some conversations were hard to have, but others weren't. And we have people reach out to us daily asking to sign on to that pledge. So I'm I'm happy about what we've been able to accomplish. And I think that we are helping move this industry forward.
1: And do you feel like it's been gaining a lot of really strong momentum?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely it has. And leading up to summer OR, I, I see it growing even more. But people, like I said, people are reaching out to us. We have a lot of support, a lot of articles that are, are being written about it. And it, it's about moving forward and and showing people how to do this work. Because all too often, that's what they say is, we don't even know where to begin. So the pledge helps them with that. And um, the 25-member steering committee that we have in place we're here to help people, you know, walk through it. So it's, it's gaining momentum, and I think it's going to be what helps push all these brands forward in their commitment to the work of diversity and inclusion.
1: When she first created the pledge, Teresa reached out to Camber Outdoors. It's an organization that promotes equity in the industry. Teresa says that at the time, Camber made it clear to her that their members were not ready to work on issues of racial diversity. They were focused only on gender equity. Then, at the 2019 Winter Outdoor Retailer Trade Show, Camber unveiled their own CEO Outdoor Equity Pledge, and it actually did address racial diversity.
0: When Camber announced their pledge, two things got people fired up. The first was Camber's claim that this was the first pledge of its kind. The second was the lack of people of color in the planning and execution of the pledge.
2: The announcement Camber made February 1st caught some people off guard. I was perfectly fine with it because I already knew what they were planning to do. I knew they were looking to up the ante on the work they were doing a- around their women's pledge. What caught me off guard was the name. I had no idea that they were going to rename their pledge to something so close to ours. That's the only thing that caught me off guard. I understand why there was so much, why there were so many people upset about it. But for me, it's about the work. You know, we could continue to talk about Camber Outdoors, but for me, it's about the work. I don't want to lose that in all of this. I don't want people to lose sight of what's most important, and, and for me, it's the work. Camber has since reached out to me, and 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 we are in conversation on how we can move forward and hopefully find ways to work together.
1: Is there a silver lining with all that went down there?
2: Mm, a silver lining. I... I don't know. I, because, you know, while so many publications reached out to me about that, I, I, I tried to steer clear. I, I, I issued one public statement saying <laughs> that let's do the work. And for me, people who have reached out since that whole incident took place apologizing and and saying that they better understand the importance of this work. I guess that can be the silver lining. People understand that this work is not easy, that people will make mistakes clearly. And 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 that having someone to help walk them through this process is helpful. And that's what the CEO Diversity Pledge does is we we offer that help to walk people through this. And I think with people at Marmot, people at at Granite Gear, people at MEC, they have been amazing throughout this. Um, And I think the public statements that they have made shows that people care about the work. and, And that remains my focus.
1: Do you think that making a mistake and specifically making a public mistake keeps people and brands and organizations from doing the DEI work?
2: I think it gives them an excuse, an additional excuse, because that's all people really need is an excuse not to do something. Right. Um, But you know, the fact that Camber came out what a day or so after the the initial announcement and with an official public apology, not once but twice, shows that this work is important. And that they understood that the whole issue with their pledge and and our pledge was was starting to, I guess, be the catalyst for division. And I think we are on the mend um, from that. And if people continue to use, you know, public mistakes as an excuse to not do this work... They were never prepared to do the work in the beginning.
1: Oh, that was a mic drop moment right there. I just got pissed. I know,
2: right? Drop the I mic and walk away, right? That. that was awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are there brands that are ahead of the of the rebranding facelift curve, are there are there brands that are doing it right right now?
2: Absolutely, R- REI is kicking butt. Marrow is kicking butt. Marmot is making strides. A lot of brands are, um, but specifically those three. Um, I will always acknowledge the amazing work that Patagonia does around protecting our environment. I will always acknowledge that. Um, But brands are stepping up. Some brands are stepping up. Um, North Face, VF Corp, stepping up. They understand that it it takes partnering with people like myself to get the job done. It's all these affinity groups that are forming. Native Outdoors, um, Brown Girls Climb. All these groups that are coming up and brands are reaching out to to work on marketing campaigns with. That's what's making a difference. And we need to make sure that continues.
0: But it's not just the brands Teresa
2: wants to see change from. It's us. Start applying pressure to these outdoor brands, to the Sierra Club, to SCA. Start applying pressure to them. Ask them why their board's so white. I mean, the public has to apply pressure. That's how change happens. You're their customer. You're an REI customer, North Face, Patagonia, Columbia. You're a customer. Your voice matters. So speak up when you see these issues. Make sure that people understand it's not just people of color who are seeing this and who have an issue with it. It's the general public. So you all need to raise your voices too. You know, you you have a social media presence, talk about it there. Don't just wait to bring a person of color on your show to have this conversation. Have it on your own, raise it on your own. That's how change happens. I want to see when when I walk into a board meeting of an environmental company, I wanna see myself represented on that board. I don't want to continue to walk into board meetings and just see nothing but white faces on that board, nothing but white people in the audience. I want to see us represented on that board, in that audience. I want to be able to walk into REI and see posters of people of color doing amazing things in the outdoors or not doing amazing things in the outdoors, but simply being in the outdoors That's what I want to see. I want to open up a Patagonia catalog and see myself represented in that catalog. That's what I want to see.
1: I think it's important to point out here that the diversity, equity, and inclusion work that Teresa is doing for our outdoor community is not her job. She's not getting paid. This is her after-work passion, which is unreal. This is a huge issue, and the work she's doing is emotionally draining. Which made me wonder, does Teresa ever feel like giving up? Does she ever feel like it's too big of an issue to conquer?
2: Giving up is not an option. What my ancestors endured was a lot. This is easy. I have my freedom. My ancestors didn't have their freedom. Yet they were fighting for it. They were fighting for me. So this Do I get frustrated? Yeah. I get frustrated. I get mad because I'm having the same conversation over and over (laughs) again, but I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going because I know that a change will come, but only if we keep pushing. They're waiting for us to give up. They're like, damn it, what can we do to make her stop? What can we do? I already know they're having that conversation. But they don't know my determination. So I'm going to keep pushing and I'm, I'm going to keep saying to people like you that where are you? Where are you in this fight? What are you doing? I'm going to keep calling people like yourself out, asking you what you guys are doing. I live in obligation to those who will come after to make sure these spaces are around for them to enjoy as well. Um, that's why I do it. Yeah, I, I have a, a regular nine to five. Um, but my passion is this work. So hopefully one day someone will reach out to Teresa and say, we understand you're crazy. <laughs> but we want to <laughs> create this position for you to do this work. So hopefully that'll happen one day. But until it does, I'm going I'm, I'm to keep fighting as best I know how.
1: Where do you draw hope from? What fuels your action and your perseverance?
2: When we get together, when these affinity groups get together at an OR show at or at um, Brothers of Climbing event, when I see us gathering and doing stuff, that's what encourages me. When I see my 8-year-old niece running around in you know, on on Mount Tam getting dirty or at Point Reyes pointing out the the elephant seals, that's what keeps me going because I want these places to be around when, you know, as she continues to grow. That's what inspires me. Joe Flannery at Marmot inspires me. Rose Macario at Patagonia inspires me. So there are people, um, there are events and these spaces that's where I draw most of my inspiration from. Walking around the Redwoods at Avenue of the Giants, that's what inspires me. That's what keeps me going because I want these places to be around for generations to come. I know that engaging larger audiences or or more diverse audiences would create more stewards. So, that is the purpose behind the work that I do is to engage more communities so that we can form larger stewardships to protect these outdoor spaces.)
1: been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Teresa Baker. And to learn more about what she's doing, check out diversifyoutdoors.com and check out her Instagram at TeresaBaker11. That is the number 11. If you like today's show, spread the word about it. You know the stoke and the thoughts you got from this episode? Well, go ahead and cram them into your emotional t-shirt cannon and blast them into a crowd of your choosing. Tell your friends and fam, and pump up the volume. You can find us on Instagram at Safety Third underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at Safety Third Podcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nicano. Alex Park edited this episode. Additional production help from Andrew Stelzer. Music by my big, awkwardly hairy brother, Brendan, my legs look like a chia pet O'Connell. Art Direction by Anya Miller-Berg, Fitz Cajal is our creative director, Becca Cajal is our executive producer, and I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third.